Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Recovery time, specifically sleep or just like fun time to play and let go and just have fun is absolutely um, essential to that healthy lifestyle and being able to reboot and re-energize from your day because we we need to to literally go offline to reboot you know and so allocate playing recovery recovery time um, builds from the adopting a healthy lifestyle then third avoid unnecessary stress so i talk about the ace method which is a really a um holistic, new, refreshing way to to look at stress, to reframe stress. The way to ace stress using the ACE method is through awareness, change, and empowerment. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Naz, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually found out about your book uh, when I was just browsing my phone one late, one late night and you know going through the Google News thing. And I saw this book that had been written by somebody who was Steve Jobs' former assistant. I was like, wait a minute, I have to figure out what this book is. And when I got it, I, I immediately I saw it. I immediately bought it because my roommate was doing similar work. I was like, you have to read this book. And then I tore through it in about two days. And I thought, this is something that our listeners absolutely have to hear about. But before we get into all of that, now, I'm going to start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that one or both of your parents taught you that have influenced and shaped who you've become and what you've done with your life? Wow, I love that question. Um, well, they always told me from the very beginning to always be myself. They always had 
a lot of trust in me. And whenever I would go to them for advice, or, you know, if I was just unsure of something, they would just always say, be yourself. And that has never proven wrong. I mean, I, being myself, my authentic self has always gotten me where I need to be. So I really love that advice that they've given me. And it it has really shaped who I am today. Okay. So that advice is something that I think I fear, you know, hear echoed often through popular culture. And often I think there's context in that advice that is missing when people follow it. Because if you're being yourself and you're a horrible person, that doesn't really help anybody. (laughs) Uh, So can you expand on what you mean by that? And also talk about how people misinterpret that advice. Well, my parents obviously don't think that I'm a horrible person. If not, they would say, be yourself, but much better and, and, uh, try to be a better person, not necessarily be yourself, but be better. I have always, uh, been a perfectionist and sometimes to my detriment. And I think that being myself, I have a high, very high standard for myself and others. And so when I'm myself, it's just naturally at a high standard compared to maybe someone who, you know, doesn't have high standards or doesn't work on themselves to be a better person every day. And, and it really is a work in progress. Like no one's perfect by any means. I'm not perfect. And you know, like as perfect as I can be, there's always work and improvement and, and hence the business I'm in, I'm always developing myself and helping others develop themselves. So being yourself is uh, a work in progress in terms of always being able to improve yourself Mm -hmm. if you're up for the work. Yeah. So did your parents encourage any particular career paths? I mean, we're both talking about the fact that we come from very similar backgrounds. And I, I wonder, did you get sort of the typical Indian kid narrative of oh, become a doctor, lawyer, engineer? Yeah, I mean, that was typical because that's kind of what they knew. But they also, um, what's typical in our family is is that, but also being an entrepreneur. So most of my, um, especially from my mother's side, were entrepreneurs and that was something that I always knew I wanted to be. Didn't know exactly in what way, but wanted to venture out and do my own thing and really make an impact in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I remember correctly, you actually left Iran uh, in the midst of a revolution. You came here to the United States. Um, what did you find challenging about adapting to a new culture? What felt familiar? What did you dislike and what did you like? Well, this question would be best asked to my brother because my brother was nine years old when we moved. I was only two, so I didn't really remember. I really was raised here, but I know for him, you know, just adjusting to the different culture in terms of, you know, what people were like and and just everyday life, it was just so different. Um, And he had a very hard time adjusting, but I I definitely did not because I was only two. So I pretty much was raised in San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Um, So you mentioned this perfectionist tendency, and I wonder how that played out in your earlier life. Were you one of these sort of straight A kids in high school uh, who had, you know, crazy high standards for yourself and got disappointed every time you got less than an A? Yeah. Yeah. A minus was horrible. Like really horrible. Um, yeah, I, I'm like my biggest critic. I've been working on that. And even in my book, I talk about your inner critic versus inner coach. And, you know, I apply mm-hmm. that to myself all the time. And yeah. it's just about being more, you know, kind and gentle with yourself because we tend to be nicer 
uh, and more accepting and compassionate with other people. But then when it comes to yourself, at least for me, I'm always harder on myself. And I've gone a lot better since I was younger, but that perfectionism really can get the better of me when I'm not as mindful as I am today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. 
Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that because I know you go uh, into detail uh, in the book about some of this stuff. So what, what's been the trajectory uh, of your career that's actually led you to writing this book and, and doing the work that you do and, and you know, building the company that you have? Well, my first job out of college was as Steve Jobs' executive assistant at Apple, and he was my first boss and mentor. And that job kind of happened as an accident. I did not uh, seek it. I did not think I'm going to get it. I didn't even want it at the time, but I ended up getting it and thought it would be you know, bad choice not to accept it. I, I accepted it because he hired me on the spot and I thought you know, it would be a great experience. And so I took it as a temporary stop on my professional map, uh, if you will. And from there, I went on to work at other another tech startup. And then I, I started um, in sales, various sales roles at Yahoo and AstraZeneca to just get some diversity in my work experience and skill sets. And I met a lot of really interesting people and, you know, loved my jobs, each one in the beginning. But then there was something like a staleness that crept in slowly but surely after some time, after kind of perfecting that job in my mind, you know, getting up to speed and doing really well and surpassing numbers in my sales roles. I just got bored and I was really just unfulfilled. And I was always in a constant battle with my alarm clock every morning when I would have to, when it would go off and I knew I had to get the day started. I just was not motivated or determined to hit the ground running like I am today as an entrepreneur. I just knew something had to shift and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So it was a long time, you know, in the making of trying to figure that out and and taking explorative action to figure out what is it that I want to do to, you know, create the life that makes me want to jump out of bed, makes me not have to have an alarm clock or if I need an alarm clock, be excited when that alarm goes off and really hit the ground running and just have more purpose and passion in my life. And so while I was exploring corporate America on the side, I was also exploring um, different areas where I can potentially start my own company, exploring my what my passions are and how I could turn my passion into my purpose and profession. And my mother had gotten me into uh, yoga. She took me into my first yoga class. Then years later, like a decade later, she got me into meditation. So those two things were kind of my grounding, you know, points that like of my daily practices, my yoga meditation was everything to me. And it just made me feel so good that I wanted to help others in a way to incorporate that. So I did end up becoming a certified yoga instructor thought I would open up a yoga studio back in the early 2000s and, you know, also a wellness center because I was really into, you know, healthy lifestyle at that point. And I really wanted to um, help people who were stressed and, you know, wanted to adopt a healthier lifestyle through, you know, yoga and just healthy habits and behaviors but I ended up getting back, sucked it back into the corporate world where when I got a job offer at Yahoo, which was the Google of its time. So put that on hold. And then simultaneously, years later, decided to go back to school to become a holistic health coach. And that's when I really like started realizing no more putting my passion and purpose on hold um, because the money is, you know, I was, I was basically 
wearing the golden handcuffs. So the money was very uh, good and the benefits was very good in terms of, you know, working for someone else. It was a big risk to just like leave that the cush job and the whole golden handcuffs to start my own business. But um, one trip kind of changed my life, which was a trip to India. And I spent six weeks there on a just a life transforming trip where I had just, I, I don't know, like very profound experiences with a with a monk that I uh, had been in silence for 19 years. I meditated with him in his cave for an afternoon, followed by a uh, five-day teaching at the Dalai Lama's residence and in Dharmashala. And it just, the day I got back, I mean, that six weeks changed my life. The day I got back, I quit my job at AstraZeneca as a pharma sales rep at that time. I quit my job. I could not live another day, not living my passion and purpose. I just knew that I wanted to start my own corporate wellness company because that was kind of in the making when I went back to school to be a holistic health coach. And the reason I wanted corporate wellness was because all my experience in corporate for for a decade and all those different companies, there was no employee well-being programs. There were no tools, strategies, or support to help stressed out individuals, employees like myself at the time. And I saw a real gap um, that needed to be to be filled and bridged. And also, I saw there was a societal gap when I was calling on doctors, about eight doctors a day, I would go to their office. And at the time, I realized that, you know, people were going to the doctor's offices with um, their chief complaint, mostly related to stress, but the doctors didn't have enough time to go through like the underlying causes and lifestyle choices and, you know, what the underlying causes are of their chief complaint. And so being a, um, you know, holistic health and wellness coach and bringing corporate wellness to companies, I thought would help that um, gap, bridge that gap basically, and be able to make a larger impact because we spend most of our time at work, right? So why not bring it to, to companies? Because people are you know, not getting the support, at least back then, now much more so, but they were not getting the support they needed to be able to thrive and not just at work, but in life, you know? And so I wanted to help basically the old version of myself who is stressed, unfulfilled, and uh, really be able to address, you know, people's chief complaints. Yeah. So I, now I remember what it was that got my attention. I think it was an article on CNBC that uh, was about the fact that you were Steve Jobs' assistant, and it was about the misperceptions that we have from sort of the, the folklore that we hear uh, about what he was actually like. And I think that that was one of the things that struck me. So what are the misperceptions that people have about what it's like to work with somebody like him? And what are the lessons that you've learned, um, which I'm sure there are probably more than enough to write 10 books? Um <laughs> that have influenced and shaped, you know, what you ended up doing later on? Well, the biggest misperception was that, you know, he wasn't healthy. He didn't take care of himself. And that's why he died of pancreatic cancer. But I saw firsthand up close and personally that actually he had cracked the code way before anyone else on prioritizing self-care and taking that holistic approach to well-being, which is what I 
I base all of my teachings on because he would meditate daily. He would exercise regularly several times a week with a personal trainer. He had strong relationships, you know, especially with his family. He had a, a profound passion and purpose building Apple, all of these things. And, and he ate healthily. And so all of these things contribute to make him and whoever is practicing these healthy habits their best self. Like they're able to show up and be super focused. Steve was super focused, laser focused. And um, he really knew like how to to take care of himself so that he can innovate, be creative, and um, have the energy and and focus that he needed to build Apple the way it turned out to be. Yeah. What about in terms of the the personality traits, the crazy outbursts, and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people who are you know iconic legends, iconic visionaries uh, tend to be, you know, have a little bit different personalities. And he, I think that stemmed mostly from his perfectionism too. So like, I can personally relate. I don't, I don't condone that behavior by any means. Like it's, it definitely was um, not, you know, helpful, but he definitely pushed people beyond their limits in a good way because he would see people's potential when they couldn't. And they would actually realize later, not everyone, but some would realize, wow, I I actually was able to do that because Steve, you know, had that belief in me. And they were able to accomplish more than what they thought they could because Steve had that vision and high expectation, of course, he really did demand excellence. And and most iconic visionaries do, you know, so Mm -hmm. I think with good reason, um, yes, there could be definite uh, room for improvement and that people shouldn't be treated, um, you know, disrespectfully. So I definitely don't condone that behavior. But um, he he was definitely an intense man. Yeah. So one more question about this and we'll get into the book. Uh, we had Justine Musk here, Elon's ex-wife, uh, and you know she had written this piece that you might have come across a while back uh, that was an answer on Quora when some kid asked, how can I become great like Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, and Elon Musk? And there's one thing that struck me in my conversation with her, and that was she said that this is not something that can be learned. She said, I don't want to be all deterministic, but, you know, this is just how these people are. And this is an extreme way to go about life. And you've got a front row seat to somebody like that, somebody that so many people use as a role model for success. And yet I kind of wonder, having seen Steve Jobs up front, do you think that that is healthy for people to put somebody like him on a pedestal and make somebody like him their standard for success? Well, all his positive attributes, yes, but not the negative ones, right? You could always take the best of people and put them, make it your own and and take what's good from everyone and put that on a pedestal to make your, you know, to aspire to be, but obviously not the negative parts. Right. But do you think it's realistic for most people to achieve at that level? Well, he, I think he was, you know, not many people are like Steve Jobs or Richard Branson or Oprah. Uh, I think it's, you know, realistic. I don't want to be anyone's like ceiling and to cap their potential. I think it's great to have high aspirations. Um, so I, I wouldn't be one to be like, no, that's not realistic for you. Why don't you aim lower? So mm-hmm. I would actually 
say, go for it. If that's what you want, you know, strive to be like Steve Jobs and all the positives that he contributed to the world. Wow. Wait, so I have one last question. So you, this, and this will make a perfect segue into the book. You talk about this idea of turning your passion into your purpose and profession, which is something that I think a lot of people aspire to do, particularly entrepreneurs. And at the same time, you know, you had the funds to do something like go off to India for six weeks. And even I recognize at this point in my life that the idea of passion and purpose and all these things are things that in a lot of ways are only relevant to people in privileged circumstances so often, not people who are literally trying to survive. And I, I just wonder what your, your take is on that. Sorry, could you repeat that last part? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, so many of these conversations that we have, even the ones on this show and even the, you know, even the stuff I write, I realize often that I'm addressing an audience that you know probably is coming from privileged circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it's not really viable for you know, most people to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go off to India for six weeks and basically find my life's purpose. Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, It is not viable for a lot of people. And in my book, I do share that not everybody has to go across the world to find their life purpose, but there is such thing as what I call explorative action. And you could take that locally. You could do that, you know, side by side while still being in a job. But it's just really about getting outside of your comfort zone. And that does not need to be all the way to India or some, you know, faraway place. And I was just fortunate. And that was always something that I had wanted to do. And so I took the opportunity and, you know, I had saved my vacation. Um, it was actually a paid trip through my work. I had saved my vacation for the whole year to take that trip. And, you know, so people working in um, companies do have vacation time. They could save their vacation like I did, or they don't have to take a vacation. They could just be, you know, um, taking explorative action, things outside um, their comfort zone to explore different things that, you know, bring them joy, things that make them lose track of time and, and just keep exploring those things and see, see what, see what fits, what makes you feel good and then keep exploring deeper and further. And if you still don't find it, I mean, I talk about purpose in two different ways. There's that you know, macro level of the bigger purpose of your life's mission and message and, you know, why you're here, what kind of impact do you want to make? And, you know, that's that bigger purpose that many people, if they haven't found it yet, are seeking. And it's not always easy to find. Some people don't even find it in their lifetime. You know, I found it later, but I was happy to have found it. And if while you're also seeking that greater purpose of your life's mission, I always encourage people to also think about it on a smaller micro level scale, whereas you're thinking of your day's purpose, like going through your day with intention, with purpose. So what is my purpose of this meeting? What is the purpose of this call? What is the purpose or intention of what I'm, whatever I'm going to do right now, fill in the blank and just have micro purposes throughout your day and week which can build up to, you know, finding your greater purpose, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you open the book by saying that our lives are marked by a singular focus on achievement. We're surrounded by a culture that puts unrelenting pressure on us, which can lead to chronic stress and even premature death. Due to the demands of this high pressure environment, people often climb the career ladder through visible sacrifice. And to your point, what do we celebrate? Who do we put on the covers of magazines? People who accomplish extraordinary things. 
uh, and these are the people that we model ourselves after. So how do you start to let go of that singular focus on achievement while at the same time being able to achieve the things you want to achieve? Well, achievement can mean different things for different people. So I also talk about what does success mean for you? Like success could mean strictly achievement, financial success, but what about achieving happiness? Like what makes you happy? What brings you joy into your life? So it's really about what what does that look like for you? And that that's different for different people, right? So what are your values? And, and what does success look like for you? What does achievement look like for you? And then, you know, it depends if, you know, when you define that for yourself, then um, hopefully it's once you become, you know, that, that's why I kind of wrote this whole book. The whole map method is about, you know, the fundamental part of the method is mindfulness, mastering mindfulness. So it's getting deep into what your authentic heart's desires are instead of, you know, constantly being trapped in the monkey mind or in your head and having that singular focus on whatever that achievement is for you. Whereas, you're, um, when you're mindful, you're able to quiet that, you know, chatter, monkey mind, all the covers of the, you know, um, magazines that you referred to, to really tap into what did it, what is it that I want? What is it that achievement looks for, like for me? What does success look like for me without being impacted or influenced by external factors or people? You know, and then when you really get deep to down to your truest heart desires and align your mind with your heart, then that that definition or desire of achievement and success will most likely alter. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Well, one of the things you say about mindfulness, and, and the reason it struck me is because we have a, a course on attention management. And one of the things I hear often or over and over again for people is I don't have the time to meditate. And you say, we can't afford to treat mindfulness as a perk or luxury. If we leave mindfulness in the yoga mat or meditation room, we're passing up a wealth of potential. It's like allowing our money to sit idle in a zero interest bank account. We must put that resource to work for us. And, you know, at least from my standpoint, when I explained it to people, I said, look, you think you're sacrificing 10 minutes of your time, but what you're getting is an hour of focus in return. So in reality, you're saving time. But Make the case for why this is actually worth people setting aside the time to do. Well, I always, uh, when I have clients, for example, who are not open to meditation or they're a little bit curious, but they don't really see the benefits, what I suggest is to just try it and, and do like two minutes a day consistently for, you know, a couple weeks or more, preferably a month, 30 days, as I say in my book, and see what benefits uh, come your way. Like, what benefits do you reap? And when you see the benefits for yourself, then you're more likely and motivated to continue the practice. Now, for me personally, mindfulness, my meditation practice, which is TM, Transcendental Meditation, when I got initiated and started doing it daily uh, for 20 minutes a day, People close to me who know me very well noticed a big shift in me and said, what are you doing? You've changed. And how I had changed was that I seemed more at peace, more calm. I was less reactive. And I just, you know, they said I had a glow for some reason. Like it was because I was at peace, you know, was that I wasn't as... um anxious, not that I have a lot of anxiety to begin with, but I was stressed and I was always on the go and you could see it. There wasn't, you didn't see or sense um, a sense of peace when you would talk to me previously. This was decades ago, right? And then my meditation practice really turned that around. And then I noticed 
that I became much more creative and all these creative thoughts. I'd have like downloads during my meditation. And then after meditation, I would go do something really creative, like especially business oriented. When I was just uh, starting launching Prananas, my corporate wellness company, I, um, I had a lot of creative ideas that came to me in my meditation. And so I think a lot of uh, successful business leaders, such as the late Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, R- Rupert Murdoch, um, Tony Schwartz, a ton of very, very highly successful um, business leaders have attributed their success to meditation. And I think it's for a, a variety of those reasons, plus more. I mean, and there's a ton of health benefits on top of that. You know, it's just there's so many benefits to meditating, having a consistent meditation practice. Now I have clients who are like, oh yeah, I meditated last week. Well, Uh last week, once a week or twice a week is not going to give you those benefits. It's got to be daily, regularly. If you miss a day, you know, that's okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up over it. Like don't be hard on yourself, but to really reap the benefits, you must do it daily. And to start with 20 minutes is is not what I would suggest. That's the TM method. If you're highly dedicated, great, do it. I was and I did it and it worked for me. But for people who are still reluctant, don't have the time, like you said, um, start with two minutes. But I do have to tell you, I was one of those people myself. My mother was, gave me the same advice you said was like, she kept telling me, so she, she started meditating in the early eighties. So she was way ahead of like the whole like trend of meditating. Um, and she kept telling me when she saw me really stressed working at uh, Yahoo and AstraZeneca, you should meditate. I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't have time. There's no way I have, I don't have, um, five minutes, like extra time to myself. You think I'm going to like spend 40 minutes because it's two sessions of 20 minutes a day for TM. I said, there's absolutely no way I'm doing that. And so my poor mom, she was so persistent and she kept insisting. And, you know, I was just kind of brushing it off and being dismissive for not only one or two, three years, but for an entire decade. It took me 10 years to finally wake up and be like, you know what? I'm ready. And I want to start meditating. My mom couldn't believe it. She was so excited. She quickly connected me with a local TM uh, instructor in San Francisco. I was in, in SF at that time. And I got initiated, but I had to be ready for it. She could insist, insist, and it was coming from my mom, someone I love and respect, but I dismissed it because I wasn't ready for it. So I'm not one to force any client to do it. If meditation isn't for you or it's not for you at this time, because I truly think it's for everyone, I, I just, I, I highly believe in it. But I don't believe that it should be imposed on people if they're not ready for it, because it's not going to work for them. They've got to be ready for it. It's got to be the right time, just like it was for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go on to talk uh, about this concept called the the seven A's, and you start out by saying the quality of your life depends on the quality of your choices. Unfortunately, we're not born with the ability to make good decisions. We must learn the critical skill of decision-making, often the hard way. The choices you make throughout your life determine whether or not you will promote yourself to the CEO of your well-being, which I think that that line in particular struck me. I thought, yeah, that's the title of our interview is how to become the CEO of your well-being. Um, but how do you utilize these seven A's that you talk about to become the CEO of your well-being? 
they all build upon each other and they're also used interchangeably. So the seven A's are about applying better choices to manage stress and build resilience. And they're essentially ways to upgrade both your mindset and your behavior. So I start with the first A, which is adopt a healthy lifestyle. So that is like baseline, foundational, got to adopt that healthy lifestyle to build a resilience reserve so that when you are, you know, faced with challenges, obstacles, stresses, adversity in your life, you have that baseline of a healthy lifestyle and that resilience reserve to be able to, you know, bounce back and also not just bounce back, but bounce forward and really thrive, you know, um, through, through the challenges that you face. And then with that, allocating the second A is allocating play and recovery time. Now, I find that really important because just like an athlete who, you know, performs at the highest level, they also need to recover, rest and recover. And so that applies to the business world and leaders and everyone, you know, recovery time, specifically sleep or just like fun time to play and let go and just have fun is absolutely um, essential to that healthy lifestyle and being able to reboot and re-energize from your day because we we need to to literally go offline to reboot, you know? And so allocate play and recovery time um, builds from the adopting a healthy lifestyle. Then third, avoid unnecessary stress. So I talk about the ACE method, which is a really a um, holistic, new, refreshing way to to look at stress, to reframe stress. It's also an effective way to upgrade both your mindset and behavior when thinking about stress. So ACE um, stands for the three different types of stress, acute, chronic, and new stress. Acute is that, you know, necessary stress that we all experience, like the fight or flight, um, short-term stress. Chronic stress is the one that we want to avoid. It's the long-term stress that is characterized by feelings of hopelessness, helplessness. And when you feel that for greater than um, six months, you, you've fallen into that uh, state of chronic stress. And it is linked to the leading causes of death in the U.S. So we really want to, at, at the worst case, you know, avoid that. Um, and then the E for ACE is for stress, which is a positive stress that fuels your energy uh, to achieve something that might be, you know, short-term stress, like, um, you know, speaking in public or a job interview or, you know, um, a physical fitness, like a, um, a marathon. A, a, a marathon is a, you know, physical fitness challenge, something that could be stressful, but it's a good stress that energizes you to get through that marathon for example, or race. And then um, the the way to ace stress using the ACE method is through awareness, change, and empowerment. So step one would be to be aware of the signs and symptoms of the stressors. So identifying what type of stress, acute, chronic, or stress, and the source of the stress, where it's coming from, what, why are you feeling stress? And then step two would be to change your mindset, right? To choose to reframe the stress using that upgraded mindset so that you can identify your options or opportunities, both again in mindset and behavior. 
And lastly, step three is to take empowered and effective action. So the goal is to make the most of the situation by moving between acute stress and use stress while choosing to avoid the trap of chronic stress, the killer stress, and that we always have a choice. So, you know, um, even when we're already experiencing chronic stress, it's not too late to pivot and change course because we may not um, be able to avoid the unnecessary stress, but we could change our mindset about it. So, which leads me to the next A, which is about altering the situation. Like if you can't avoid it, try to alter the situation. And then the next A is if you can't alter it, adapt to the stressor. The next A is if you um, can't adapt to the a stressor, then just accept what you cannot change, which will help you adapt more because you're essentially accepting what you cannot change and you stop wasting your energy on focusing on things that are just out of your control. It's just completely wasted energy. Mm -hmm. So they all really um, build. And then lastly, the last A is attend to connection with self, others, world, and universe. And this one kind of encapsulates it all because you want to attend to your own self, your authentic self, which we were building in the first part of the book, which is the M for master mindfulness, keeping that connection with yourself and then with others the world and universe just bringing it out from the inner circle to the outer circle. But yeah. it all starts, that connection starts with a good relationship with yourself. Okay, so let's go back to uh, the idea of adapt. You make this distinction between the inner critic and the inner coach. And I think this is highly relevant to creative people because uh, I've noticed every creative person thinks that there's going to be this option opportunity to silence their inner critic completely. But anybody who has written a book, as you probably know, has to deal with an inner critic. So can you explain the difference between the inner critic and the inner coach and how to utilize those? Absolutely. And I love this because even, you know, this is my work and I still have that inner critic. It's like sometimes it, it doesn't go away forever. It can creep up at any time. Um, but it's all about being mindful of it, right? Again, that's why mindfulness is, uh, is fundamental. When you're not mindful, that inner critic that says, you know, um, that basically represents negativity. It could be yapping in your ear all day long about all the negative things, like harping on the mistake that you might have made, like, you know, you blew that presentation. Oh, you're, you, you suck at writing. You can't write, like, whatever it is. Um, if you're not mindful that that inner critic is dominating your thoughts, you start to believe that. And you start to think that that it's true. But if you're mindful, you're like, oh, that's just my inner critic. And I'm going to choose to now have my inner coach take over. And that inner coach represents positivity and highlights all the positive and coaches you through dealing with that inner critic and anything that can, you know, better yourself. So that's there to coach you through and help you. And so I always say that, um, the inner critic is similar, you know, I, I, um, use a parallel of, of two dogs, like the good dog and the bad dog and the good dog being, uh, the inner coach, the bad dog being the inner critic. And so it ends up being about, you know, the dog that you feed is basically the life that you're going to lead. So it determines your life when you 
decide to listen to the bad dog, the inner critic. Or um, conversely, if it's the inner coach, you're going to have a much more positive uh, experience because you're choosing to feed the good dog your inner coach and choosing to uh, starve the bad dog, um, the inner critic. Hmm. So when you talk about acceptance, you say we cannot control everything. We cannot control traffic patterns, people or the weather. We can't control the stock market, taxes, or the loss of a loved one. In fact, we cannot control most things in the world, no matter how much we try. Moreover, we cannot control nor accurately predict the future. And I think that what I wonder about is when people are struggling to accept something, for example, like a breakup, I think the pattern that usually follows is rumination. Uh, mm-hmm. At least in my experience, which is let me replay this whole thing a thousand times, figure out, you know, if I would have done this one thing differently, what would have been different? And then, of course, after seven months of therapy, I wake up and say to myself, well, no matter how many times I replay this damn thing, the outcome is still the same. Mm-hmm. Exactly. How do people break that pattern? Well, so sometimes it's just a matter of being having that pity party for yourself and being so upset about it for so long that you just get sick and tired of it. It's like you wake up and you're like, I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired about this, you know, and it's it's a timing thing or it's a thing that you got to work through through with a therapist, with yourself and work through all the different levels of, you know, pain, anger, resentment, whatever the different, you know, feelings that you experience, you go through it. It's, it's a process. Um, it's definitely not something that you just snap your fingers and be like, okay, I'm over it. You got to feel through every stage that comes your way. It's kind of like a wave, different waves, right? That come and go one day you might feel good about it. And you're like, okay, I accept this. This is this is how it is. And I accept that I cannot change the outcome. And this is the, my new reality. And then the next day, you know, you you take a step back and you're like, wait, why did this happen? I don't understand. What if I had done this? Just like you said, you know, and start ruminating again. But, you know, after you do that for so long, it just naturally, it becomes a natural progression to just accept because you realize that you're not getting anywhere. Nothing's changing with all the worry, stress, rumination. It still doesn't change, right? So it's about reminding yourself, like, has this helped? Has this behavior, these thoughts, this anxiety over all this, has this helped? Like, what what has changed? How has this been helpful? Um, and you, you're not going to be able to really, you know, answer that in a way that, yes, this was helpful. Yes, it did serve you in a way because it helped you process for a certain time. But after some time, it's, it's no longer going to serve you, but everything has a positive intention. So you ruminating, you, you know, all those things have a positive intention and they're serving you in that time. But eventually it's not going to serve you any longer and you could put that heavy baggage down and move forward. Hmm. Wow. Um, well, you finished up the book by talking about this concept of prana and uh, this whole uh, model called MAP. Can you expand on that and how that plays into this whole idea of being the CEO of your well-being? Yeah, so we kind of touched a bit already about the MAP. Like that, The MAP method is a holistic framework to help you navigate your own mindful journey. So your map, and that's really your map of authentic self-discovery, better choices, and purposeful growth. So map is an acronym for 
Master Mindfulness, the big M, which is part one of my book. And then the A is for Apply Better Choices to Manage Stress and Build Resilience, which are the seven A's that we discussed. And promote yourself to the CEO of your well-being. And the three P's is the P for map. And the map method uses the metaphor of a map to chart that purposeful life. So it kind of has a double meaning there. But when you incorporate the map method, you're really able to thrive and become, you know, the CEO of your well-being. Hmm. So uh, I want to ask you about sort of the, the stigma that we have around mental health issues, because I come from a culture where anything mental health is highly stigmatized. It's pretty much swept under the rug. Nobody talks about it. We, you know, admitting that you're going to therapy is a big source of shame for people. Uh, one, I'm curious how it is in Iranian culture. Is this accepted as, as normal and acceptable? And, and how do you start to destigmatize this? Because, you know, in my mind, we shouldn't have to have an Aaron Schwartz story uh, or another founder of suicide to say, okay, this is a big issue. Right. You know, yeah, so my culture is similar to yours. It's not really talked about. Lots of things aren't really talked about. You you know, you do kind of sweep things under the rug. You want to, you know, present yourself as fully, you know, like in a way perfect, like nothing's wrong. And you deal with personal issues on the side in private. That's not for, you know, to be talked about publicly. But um, now, especially in like, since I do corporate wellness programs and a huge focus is on mental and emotional well-being, and especially, um, now getting out of this pandemic, the pandemic has shed a lot of light and the silver lining of the pandemic is that companies, leaders, people in general have become more aware open and accepting to mental health. And it has come for, to the forefront, which I'm very happy to see because when I started my corporate wellness company a decade ago, it's it was still highly stigmatized. And even m- when I was coaching employees, they were you know, nervous. They, they didn't feel comfortable to share. I mean, with me, I, it was different because I was an external person, but they didn't, they told me they would not feel comfortable talking to HR or their boss. Um, if they were experiencing anxiety or depression or whatever the case, there the psychological safety was not there. Now, you know, with Amy Edmondson's work on psychological safety and just having mental health being in the fore, forefront of, of wellness, well-being and employee, employee well-being, it's shifting, thankfully, I, you know, better late than never, but it is definitely being addressed and um, I, I'm really happy to see that progress now. Still, you know, yeah. not enough. It's still a work in progress, but it's something and something is better than nothing. And it, w- it was nothing before. So I'm, I'm happy to yeah. see the little bit of progress. Well, I mean, you said better late than never, which is, is great. I, I agree with that. And I know you teach, you know, primarily in corporations. I've always wondered why this is the kind of stuff that we're not exposed to when we're in school. You know, things that are essential to our well-being and life, and yet we learn nothing about it in our primary education or even in our secondary education. I know. I'm with you. I really, I don't know why that's missing, even in college. Like, if you, you're not going to do it early on, like, nowhere in our education, really, um, unless you take, I mean, like me, I was so, you know, um, I was so intrigued by psychology, you know, study of human behavior that I studied psychology and learned about, you know, human, different human um, behavior and disorders and 
illness and all that, but not everybody is interested or, you know, chooses psychology as a major, but it should be just mainstream and, and a foundational like prerequisite in, in my opinion as well. And it's funny, some of um, the reviews I read on Amazon for my book, some, some people actually mentioned, I wish we had this book, my book, um, in elementary school or high school. That, that was one of the Amazon reviews, which I was like, yes, I'm with you, definitely. Whether it's my book or just a, you know, a topic on this, um, it should be addressed early on and, and people should be know the significance of taking care of yourself and prioritizing it. And, um, and then of course the mental health aspect of it too. I mean, the holistic approach to well-being, which includes mental health, it should all yeah. be part of it. Wow. Uh, well, I, I have two final questions for you. Yeah. Um, and you've accomplished more probably than a lot of people do in their lifetime. You've gotten to work with somebody like Steve Jobs. You've gotten to write a book. You've gotten to build a company and now you get to go and teach this stuff to corporations and have built a business. How has your personal definition of success changed with age? Well, I was similar to many people who early on, you know, uh, when I thought success was more about, you know, financial success and having um, that big house and the, you know, multiple homes and nice car and, you know, similar to I'm sure your culture, um, it was more outwardly success, not internal success. And how I've changed is that success for me is, is, has shifted from external materialistic success from, you know, job title, um, and financial success to true joy and living my passion and purpose and making an impact in the world, like a positive impact. To me, that is success. So it has really shifted from external to internal, but then again, out to external because I want to also make that, you know, that dent in the universe to make meaningful impact. So I have a one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What do you think it is that makes someone unmistakable? Yeah. Unmistakable. Can you expand on that, please? Well, I mean, uh, considering I wrote a book called Unmistakable, and apparently when you write a book that's titled that, you have to define it. So I define it as what nobody else could do but you in the way that you do it. But people have given that. me all sorts of answers to this question. So, yeah, I mean, I love that. Um, I I would define it as you know not. I would define it as um, being you know, the best that you could be, you know, basically the CEO of your well-being and um, just taking charge of your life. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I would define it that way. Amazing. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and insights and wisdom with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, the book and everything that you're up to? People can find out more about me at my website, nasbeheshti.com for my corporate wellness company, Prana Nas. It would be pranaz.com. And then I'm on all social media as Nas Beheshti on um, Twitter, LinkedIn, Clubhouse. And then on Facebook, I'm Nas Beheshti Speaker. And everywhere else, I'm Nas Beheshti. And you could find me everywhere, social media and on my websites. Awesome. 
And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration 
into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.